0: The vast majority of it was going to pay for the insurgency. It was about impressing the people in Washington rather than the people on the streets of Baghdad. I think there's plenty of evidence that the military did it. Off I went with two suitcases and some bed sheets and a couple of pots and pans.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Dyson House podcast, where it's my job to talk to the experts who guide us through real issues in international affairs and how you can get involved in the fields that change the world. I'm your host, Peter Bateman. We're brought to you by the Australian Institute of International Affairs, Victoria. In this episode, I chat with the ever-busy and ever-talented Michael Brissenden. As a Walkley Award-winning ABC journalist, he's covered politics and defence both at home in Australia and internationally in places like Moscow, Chechnya, Iraq and Washington. He has decades of experience uncovering and deconstructing how governments work, or in some cases don't work, and reported on some of the biggest events in modern history. We discuss why keeping the public educated on what their government and governments around the world are doing is important, and how Michael found himself in the role of one of Australia's best and most respected political reporters. It's a bit of a whirlwind, and we were very lucky and very thankful that Michael could make time for us. If a career in politics or reporting on politics is something you're interested in, you'll enjoy this as much as I did. Please enjoy Reporting on How the World Works with Michael Brissenden. Hi, Michael. Thanks for joining us on the Dyson House podcast. We've had to sort of commandeer this back room, but I'm pretty happy that we got this together. So thanks very much for coming. Pleasure, Peter. Pleasure to be here. So politics, what is it about how governments work or in some cases how they don't work that fascinates you so much?
0: Well, I think politics is at the heart of everything, essentially. So that's why it's fascinating. And obviously everything that's decided at a political level has direct impact on us, whether it's overseas or here domestically. I mean, particularly in regard to a place like the US, for instance, we actually don't have a vote in the United States, but arguably whatever president there is in the United States has a big impact on the rest of the world. But more closer to home, I think it's important to keep governments, to hold governments to account. I think it's very easy for governments to get complacent, and if there's not a inquiring forthright media, they tend to get complacent very quickly. It's our role to hold them to account. It's been a very important part of the democratic process over the last 100 years or so, and I think it's very important. I've always been very interested in the way governments work, and the outcomes, and the impact that it has on people and so that's really why i wanted to be a political reporter the sense that governments you know governments set the parameters for our society in a way that, that you know that other institutions don't obviously
1: i might get to that point on uh, holding governments accountable later on when we talk about your international experience covering politics you did kind of just mention it then but when you got into journalism was po- a politics reporting something that you always thought you would be covering
0: Yeah, I wanted to get into. When I went into journalism, there were two things I wanted to do. I wanted to be a political reporter. I wanted to be a foreign correspondent, and that's basically what I've done. So, (laughs) yeah, it's pretty much what I've done the whole time. I think now, you know, having reported politics for a really long time, I sort of feel like I've been there and done that a bit now, and I'm actually quite nice not focusing on politics solely now. Uh, And I do think there are lots of other lots of other areas of inquiry that are worthy of you know my attention.
1: So with that ambition as a young aspiring journalist, what was your path essentially to those roles that, you, that you're after?
0: Well, it was a different path than what most people have to follow today. And I think that's just to, to do with the time that I began. You know, I, I wanted to be a journalist when I was quite young, when I was 14. And I remember saying to my father, you know, I, I wrote for the school newspaper and I really enjoyed it. It was the one thing that I'd done that I actually felt quite naturally good at you know I'd never actually done anything else that I'd felt naturally quite good at but that you know it seemed natural I said to my father I wanted to be a journalist he said oh no don't do that don't do that you don't want to do that so he sort of talked me out of it and then when I was in my mid-twenties I had a you know I, I didn't know what I was gonna do and I thought okay, I'll just go and go back to what I think I can actually do well that I really enjoy so and someone said to me look the best thing you can do is just get a job anywhere in the ABC because once you're in the ABC you can apply for jobs internally so I did, I got a job packing books in the warehouse at the ABC and started applying for jobs internally and eventually, you know, I started freelancing internally or doing stuff for Triple J and for Radio National and then eventually people took notice and I got a, a what was called a traineeship at Radio National and I then went to Radio Current Affairs, which was a, a pretty strong department in those days, that's, you know, the AM, PM in the world today. Those programs were were very, they still are very important, but they were sort of more important than, I think, in many ways. Once I'd done that, I went to Canberra and started, I convinced them to send me to Canberra to start political reporting and then, you know, from there I did that for, you know, a number of years and then got the job to Moscow and then that one thing led to another, led to another. And every time I came back, really, from overseas, I went back to Canberra to do political reporting. So that's, that's really how it worked. So I didn't have to study journalism. You know, I feel sort of a bit sorry for journalism students now because there's so many journalism students and there's so few journalism jobs so I think it was a bit different in my day.
1: Russia is something that that I personally am quite fascinated about so I wanted to ask you about that. So Moscow was your first overseas posting. Can you tell us a little bit about what your role was over there and, and the experience of going overseas for the first time?
0: Yeah it was incredible and I was quite young. I was still I would have been late 20s maybe 30 and Russia was at that stage I arrived just after Boris Yeltsin had shelled the White House so it was just very early in 1994. It was really uncertain. No one knew what was going on. It was a state of chaos. There was absolute rampant anarchic capitalism if you like with no boundaries. They hadn't had a, a free presidential election so this was the lead up to the presidential election, the first presidential election and no one really knew what was going to happen. I mean really no one knew whether whether there'd be a counter coup, whether there'd be, you know, no one knew what was going on. Plus there was the war in chechnya which was an incredibly violent unbelievably impossible war to cover but you know we had to cover it so there were so many things going on the whole world order was the whole geopolitical world order was shifting all over the place trying to sort of trying to deal with the new russia whatever that was and nobody really knew how that was going to develop so it was a very exciting time and i have to say there were a lot of journalists like myself there who were there on their first posting, a lot of young journalists. And I still have very close friends from that time because everybody was in it together. And it was the biggest story in the world at the time. It was huge. So we were all working all the time. And it was just a great, it was a great place to be. You know, people in Australia sort of said, well, why did you want to go there? And actually it was, I think it was the best thing I did because it just sent me to places that I would never, ever have otherwise gone and opened me up to a whole lot of things that i would never have been had to confront or deal with before you know like just having to be on the on the spot there and provide some some analysis about such heavy important geopolitical shifts was a great
1: privilege and so you think it's necessary for young reporters to get that experience in politics maybe at home to be able to cover these beats overseas
0: i don't think it's necessary i certainly think it helps and it's very different too you know i mean Dealing with politics in Australia and dealing with politics overseas is two very, very different things. But I think it does help to have an understanding or at least a a curiosity about how politics works. And particularly when you go to places like that where the politics are so uncertain, it does sort of make you realise how important the democratic processes are and how lucky we are in many ways. Even though our politics can sometimes seem incredibly shallow, it can seem pointless in, in so many ways, opportunistic in so many ways, actually it works, you know, It works here, and there are so many places in the
1: world where it doesn't. You mentioned before holding governments accountable. How does that play with a foreign correspondent reporting to an Australian audience? For example, when you were in Moscow, you were reporting on the geopolitical issues that were happening over there, but you were sort of reporting for an Australian audience. How did that play into holding the Russian government accountable?
0: Yeah, I think as a foreign correspondent, you have a different view of it. I mean, you're not, for a start, uh, you don't have the access that you do in Australia. I mean, if you're an Australian correspondent, if you're an Australian political reporter, you, have, you are intimately involved in the, in the political discourse and you have access that others don't have. If you're an Australian in almost any other country in the world, except perhaps Indonesia, no one really cares who you are. So it's very hard to get access. So in that sense, you can't hold government to account in the same way. But it's very important to throw a light on what's going on in those places I mean look at now. We there is no Australian organisation with a correspondent in Moscow. I think don't think that's a good thing. I don't think we know enough about what's going on there. If we'd had correspondents there, people in Australia much you'd hope and I, I think are much better informed about what's going on in the world. So it's a different sort of accountability. And really, you know, unless you're unless you're incredibly lucky, you're not gonna have you're not gonna get big news breaks in in foreign countries. But you are going to be there to analyse what's going on. You are going to be there to interpret it through uh, your eyes, through Australian eyes, for an Australian audience, which I think is is a very important thing to do.
1: Can it also help forming public opinion over here that might enact change in our foreign policy in another country?
0: Of course, yeah, absolutely. And the more people here know about what's going on in the world, the more influence people can have on foreign policy. You know, and Similarly, even the people who are involved in government often... You know, if if they understand that people in Australia are hearing and watching and reading every day what's going on in a place, they feel obliged to address it more openly and more directly. If they're not, then they don't. It's like our approach to Africa, for instance. We don't really report Africa much. I mean, the ABC has a correspondent there and we do report now, but it's a big continent, right? So Africa sort of drops off the radar people don't really engage with it because it's not really part of our daily discourse, our daily media discourse.
1: Having foreign correspondents or having having played the role of a foreign correspondent many times in your career, what are some of the tougher aspects of reporting from overseas?
0: Well, on a personal level, you travel an awful lot. It's very difficult on the family. Uh, you do end up in situations which can be quite confronting and quite dangerous. Often you have to deal with some pretty powerful personal stories that you get engaged with. I think all of that has quite a big impact on people. We're much better at dealing with it now. You know, we have, certainly at the ABC anyway, we, we now have, you know, direct engagement, psychological engagement with counsellors and counselling and all that sort of stuff. But that didn't used to happen 20 years ago. And I think people paid a pretty high price for that a lot of times. So you have to have a very understanding family. <laughs> you do have to be prepared to travel a lot at short notice but that's all part of the you know that's all and you do have to work pretty hard it has to be said but you know you don't get into it if you don't want to do those all of those things and look the other the only other thing to say about being a foreign correspondent overseas like i said is just the different relationship you have with with access to to things because uh, in australia you can behave one way simply because you're Australian and you you know they want you engaged in the process often overseas they don't want you anywhere near it and that's often
1: difficult a difficult thing to to grapple with and with political reporting in particular how have advancements in technology affected the way you report for example Donald Trump wakes up almost every morning and tweets to millions of people and there's not that mediator anymore his voice sort of directly goes to the people how does that affect it the way that you report on politics
0: Look, it has affected the way we report on politics simply because politics, international politics, has become so much more immediate. Politics ev- everywhere has become so much more immediate. No one can really control what's happening, and, and I think that's a big problem for every. Not a big problem. It's a big challenge for everybody. It's everybody involved, including the politicians, the media. The whole balance has been uh, all of these structures that we'd had in place for such a long time and the expectations about how governments used media and media used the media used governments and all of those relationships and parameters have all just been blown apart and no one really yet knows what the new parameters are and certainly no one can really control the message in the same way that they thought they might have been able to in the past so Donald Trump understands that you know he he went straight he bypasses the media entirely he bypasses the the old media channels And like it or not, it's very effective, you know. (laughs) And I think that's a big challenge for us all. But also, you know, this whole notion of fake news and, you know, we're all having to deal with these new things that we never had to deal with before. Having said that, you know, people say, oh, isn't it terrible, isn't it terrible? But actually, in a weird sort of a way, it's made the traditional mastheads much more potent and much more powerful. So in a strange sort of ironic twist Donald Trump probably saved the New York Times and probably saved the Washington Post respected mastheads like them and I would say like the public broadcasters like the BBC and the ABC here in Australia have become much more important because they are people want news they can trust they still want it even if they don't even if they get they're getting all this other stuff all over the place and they might not necessarily believe it when something happens, they still want news that is based firmly in the sort of ethical moral judgments that we've always believed the media should have and that's why something like the new york times has been saved by donald trump because people have decided that they actually they want stuff that's going to counter all the fake news and all the tweets and
1: all the everything else because they have that much access to the President's thoughts, I guess. Do you think that that has increased the trust then? Is that what you're talking about, say The New York Times and Washington Post and ABC here at home?
0: No, I think what's increased the trust is their ability to to provide uncriti- to, to provide critical analysis. and to provide the truth, you know, whatever that is, you know like in the face of all the fake news, actually people want to read something, a lot of people, not everyone, of course, but a lot of people actually want to read something that they can believe. So they believe a lot of people believe what these big mastheads put out because they have always believed it and they have and they have structures around what they do. It's not just someone tweeting or someone writing something in some bot factory in Russia that's trying to influence politics in another country. This is an organization that is you know dedicated to reporting as we knew it and reporting as we know
1: it. It's not I suppose it's not fake news as such. I spoke to one of your colleagues recently, Matt Brown, the Middle East correspondent for ABC. And we talked about the, the dwindling budgets for correspondence, both in public broadcasting and in private. I want to get your opinion on why you think it's important that we still have correspondence. And I guess specifically as well, why we need political correspondence overseas.
0: Well, obviously, I think it's incredibly important we
1: have correspondence. But I think
0: it's really important because we need to be informed. More than ever, Australians need to be informed about what's going on in the world. We need news that we can trust. We need news that we believe is accurate. And I think we need to have often, no, not always, but it's. I think it's important to have an Australian perspective on what's going on in the world. So I would argue we need to have more correspondents than we do because we have reduced the number of correspondents quite significantly. The ABC's reduced, reduced it by half. And that's come about as the rest of the media industry has basically withdrawn totally. As the advertising model broke, the money ran out and correspondence disappeared. I don't think that any of the master any of the Australian papers have correspondence anywhere except maybe Washington now. When I went to Moscow there was a correspondent for the Australian, a correspondent for the Financial Review, a correspondent for the Sydney Morning Herald, and a correspondent for the ABC. Now there's none. The ABC had correspond had two correspondents in Moscow, at some at one point two correspondents in Brussels, and about four in London. Now I think we have two and a half covering that entire area and the papers are nowhere to be seen. So I think that's a shame. And uh, similarly in Moscow, when, when I was there, every American newspaper had a correspondent and there were small newspapers, you know, like the Baltimore Sun. And it became Times, you know, these newspapers that no longer exist, they all had foreign correspondents, you know. So there, there was a lot of focus. Now it's, you know, I mean... Hopefully we'll find uh, find our way through all of this, but because the model has broken so substantially, and there is so much less money, there are so f- so many fewer correspondents, and correspondingly, the ABC has been allowed to. I guess the competition's not there so much for the ABC, so they've withdrawn as well, and I think it's a. I don't think that's a good thing.
1: Do you think that freelance journalism or or stringers offer any sort of relief to that for the public, that is? Is that a viable option, or do you think that we need to have dedicated correspondents who are paid by an organisation to be there?
0: Well, I think you can have both, but I do think freelancers have a much tougher time surviving financially than fully signed up, paid up correspondents. They also don't have necessarily have a dedication to the One Network because they've got to try and, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to sort of make money wherever they can, and I would also... Say that, look, I mean, I've been doing this for a very long time over 30 years, 33 years, and even more than that. But over that time, the ABC has invested in me as a journalist. And the way I mean, I haven't been paid particularly well, but I have been supported. You know, I've been able to take my family on postings, I've been able to, you know, do all of that and grow as a correspondent to the point where now I think what I offer is different from someone who's 30, right? I mean, just because I've been doing it for such a long time and they've made that investment in me and I think it would be a shame if if others couldn't have that experience and couldn't build Just you know, I don't think I would have been able to do it if I'd had to freelance.
1: This might be a good segue. Um, what do you think makes a good political correspondent there?
0: Curiosity. Curiosity makes a good journalist. The ability to break down incredibly complex ideas and very complex... Problems, policy problems, into understandable, digestible copy for, for people to understand. The ability to uh, communicate and articulate complex political ideas and put them in context, and and often to do it pretty fast. Sometimes, you know, uh, you don't have a lot of time to do it and the, the demands of the job are that you have to produce something for, for a particular time for the seven o'clock bulletin or, you know, now, all the time. And I think a combination of curiosity, the ability to break through the jargon and to break it down into something that ordinary people can understand, what the impact of that is going to be on them. Those are the things that uh, that I think make
1: a, make a good
0: political journalist.
1: So for the aspiring Michael Brissendons out there in 2018, what tips can you give them if they want to get into covering politics or follow a similar career path to you?
0: What can I say? I think it's, look, as I said before, it's a very different environment, but people sort of talk down journalism to young people and say oh well you know there's just not the jobs it's not that I actually think you know it's a very exciting time to be engaged in journalism there's so much you can do there are so many opportunities in many ways some of them are not paid as well as they used to be but this is a job that will take you places you've never been get you to talk to and meet people that you, you would never otherwise get anywhere near those are the things that should keep you motivated to do it and you know just keep
1: just keep doing
0: it it's you know, a lot of it's about perseverance.
1: Well, thank you very much for that, Michael. Where can people find you online?
0: Online? Well, my Twitter handle is M underscore brissow, And that's really the only thing I engage with on a social media sense. But, you know, I write for, I now work for Four Corners. So, you know, that's, they they put out a lot of digital stuff. And I write, a, you know, a fair bit for ABC online. So you can find it there. But they can certainly watch Four Corners on iview if they want to catch up. Or, of course, you can watch it on the television on Monday night at
1: 8.30. Thank you very much, Michael. I really appreciate you coming down. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to our show and give us a like or review on whatever podcast platform you use. Or even share us with your friends. You can currently follow us on Twitter at Dyson House. That's D-Y-A-S-O-N House. And remember to check in every Thursday night for new episodes. If you live in melbourne be sure to check out the AAA victoria's website you can find that at internationalaffairs.org.au forward slash victoria where you can sign on to become a member and get discounted events and access to our academic journal as well as the upcoming speaking events at dyson house at dyson house we have former guest of the podcast richard iron he'll be speaking with emma sky on iraq and retrospect at the end of june and we've also got a book launch revisiting gendered states with dr shaman stone Next week, we have the Walkley Award winning Fairfax foreign editor and investigations editor at The Age, Michael Bachelard, talking on the role of foreign correspondent. Till then, I'm Peter Bateman. Thanks for listening.